big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. Today we have a very unusual thing happening because we don't often have guests with us, but today we have a lovely Aware Parenting instructor, Steph Fleeton. Welcome, Steph. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. Uh, We're so delighted you're here. And we particularly invited Steph because we had quite a few people messaging us in various forms recently asking about what happens if a child has a diagnosis of ADHD or autism or other other diagnoses, how does where parenting work then? And so we particularly thought of inviting Steph along because Steph has a long background as an early childhood educator. She used to have um, a family daycare and now runs what she calls a natural learning haven, which I think is such a beautiful word. So lots of experience working with young children. And also she has two sons, um, one of whom has a diagnosis of ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder. So we thought we'd love to have Steph along to, to really talk at all things aware parenting in terms of you know, how, you know, what can we do in terms of aware parenting when a child has um, a diagnosis um, of which there are many nowadays. So thank you so much for coming in and joining us, Steph. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I um I just wanted to uh, and look you know this is something I think it's important that we're really clear on aren't we Marion of that this is not our area of expertise so much you know we we love to talk about aware parenting in many different contexts which is why we have Steph here to just you know explore and ask questions and that we're so aware that uh, every single family is unique and every single child is unique and so what we're discussing today, you know, with anything that we talk about with parenting, we invite you to take the pieces that resonate for you. Uh, we invite you to tune into what feels right for you and your child and your family. Because even though there are lots of different elements that go with perhaps having diagnosis and that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, you know, Mary and I, we, we talk about this all the time, is that so much about parenting, no matter who your child is, is the attunement to them, to knowing who they are what works for them, what doesn't, and and who they are as a beautiful spirit and being. And um, and I think that's where aware parenting is really beautiful, isn't it? Because it it asks us to meet the child where they're at and asks us to tune into them, to to see them and to help them find their way and their best way in this world. So I, I love that we're having this conversation to open it up to just talk about, you know, so much... <sighs> I can't even find the words. We, we're opening up to just the deep inclusion of all humans and who they are and how we can meet them with love and compassion and um, empathy and all the beautiful stuff that, that we often talk about. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm excited to jump in and, and see where we go with this. Have you got a question you want to start off with, Marion, for Steph, or, you know, so we can open up this conversation? Oh, well, before that, I did want to... Um, respond to you and say that's specifically why we wanted to call this each child is unique because I think so often what um, what the diagnosis can support parents with is to really understand 
you know, what is going on for each individual child and perhaps might, why they might be responding in a way that might be different from perhaps other children. And I think there's something so beautiful about really, in a way, parenting, just exactly as you said, looking at each child and really about the observation and the attunement and the connection. So I just wanted to second, second that. And I think you'll be thirding that as well, Steph. We've been each having such lovely conversations this week about how that's such the... The central um, element of aware parenting really this connection piece and the attunement to each child so um i don't know a question a question well i wonder actually steph do you have something when you hear us speak so far is there something that jumps out for you initially that you feel called to jump in with around all of this topic <laughs> um i actually have been making notes for the last few days because i've just got little downloads of wisdom at random times. And so I actually wrote, one of the first things I wrote was each individual is unique, which is very fitting for the title that you came up with for this episode. Um, and, you know, we are all different. And even when you a child does have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD, even within those parameters, it's unique because there's, you know, different spectrums and different combinations. And so when you see each child as a unique person with individual needs, um, still the need for connection, which is why we're parenting so beautiful, because that's one of the main focuses on connection. Um, the labels can just fall away because you're just so focused on who is this child and I want to get to know you and I'm just curious about who you are and what your needs are and how you view the world and how you process the world and yeah that's just I one of the things I really love about aware parenting and how it's really helped me with my own son and working with kids um, and seeing each of them as a unique individual who I get to I feel so blessed to be on a journey with them and I'm so grateful that their parents have chosen me to say you know you get to spend two days a week with this my child getting to really know who they are and their needs and I love meeting each individual child's needs. Mm, I love that Steph and as you say that I was remembering one of the conversations we were having earlier this week as well that that it's the same for us as adults so in terms of even the the whole um issue around diagnosis that for each parent that's they're going to have a different relationship with with a diagnosis so for some parents they might not want to go down that route at all that might not be a fit for them others might really want to you know i know you've shared and i'd love it if you would be willing to share more that for some parents this can be like a an aha moment when their child gets a diagnosis it can be an opening for more support and for more understanding about what's actually going on for that child in ways that brings more compassion and so again I, i'd really love to include that that um you know, just as each child is different, each parent is different and how we relate to this whole um, issue as well. We're each going to have a different perspective. And again, in an aware parenting lens, we're really um, about supporting each parent and understand in this, you know, in terms of the whole diagnosis um, issue. So, yeah, I'd love to hear you, you were sharing a little bit about that, Steph. Are you happy to share about your experience? Yeah, of course. Um, I went and um, organized for my almost nine-year-old son he'll be nine next week to get a formal diagnosis with a clinical psychologist 
because his speech, so he was speech delayed. He um, went from saying nothing until he was two years old to starting to form sentences. And because he didn't have that initial uh, chance to say individual sounds, when he said words, it was hard for people to understand what he was actually saying. So he needed to see a speech therapist to just say sounds like he couldn't say the L sound or the ch sound or the ch, ch sound and vowels were very difficult for him. And even now people think he has British parents <laughs> because they're just like, your son has a British accent. Is his dad British? I'm like, no, that's just, that's just his unique accent. <laughs> um, and so his speech therapist said, have you ever thought of a formal diagnosis? Because it can open up some funding and things like that for different types of therapy. Like he's really into animals. So we're thinking animal therapy with horses and things might be good for him. So we did get the diagnosis of um, combination moderate severity ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder. While And there were some specific symptoms that did meet autism criteria although he wasn't diagnosed with that and I have had families here who have said that they have a similar philosophy that they approach every child as a unique individual however it's hard in a world with labels and needing to understand humans uh like everything in nice neat boxes or manuals with words and it just helps make that understanding easier especially when there's big struggles and challenges with certain behaviors it it had there's more understanding because there's so much that's been written I know that there's many books on all these diagnoses and some of them aren't even from professionals working there some are with people who are actually have these diagnoses and so I know from my personal experience, and I was talking to one of the mums today whose daughter has the diagnosis of autism as well as some other things as well, that we don't, um, you know, like to use labels, but at the same time in society it has been helpful. And I've actually experimented with this when my son has felt overwhelmed or overstimulated and I get those looks of judgment and that, why is your child doing that can you not get them under control and I've you know I've tried explaining oh he's just feeling really overstimulated in this environment he doesn't like the loud noises or there's too many people here and I still get the judgment I can feel the judgment and then when he got his diagnoses I decided to use see what would happen if I would use these terms and I did and then all of a sudden people are like oh okay I am um, I'm can you tell me more so I can understand more about it? What are his triggers? Is there something I can do? Is there something I should not do? And so all of a sudden I got more understanding and compassion when these terms were used because these terms come with definitions and parameters and things that are easier for people to understand than just saying in this moment this is what he's feeling or this is what he's experiencing and this is what he's trying to process. I thank you for saying that, Steph. I, I love how you explain that so beautifully because it really does put into context for people something that 
make sense to them because we, I think, still live in a culture where we don't embrace big feelings and emotions. We still see it as bad and wrong, yet seeing it in that context, we're like, oh, okay, I can understand that and that's that there's more space for it, yet we still don't do that for, for kids who are just perhaps overwhelmed because, you know, they're in a loud, noisy place or they've had a really hard morning at kinder or something like that. We're still really quick to judge as a culture behaviour like that. So it's really interesting actually that it becomes, it creates a bit more acceptance for some people when when they hear what that is. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I come back to going, you know, as a world, imagine if we actually just saw someone having a hard time and we're like, oh, they're having a hard time. How do we support them? Instead of the judgment of, well, what's wrong with them? Or, you know, what are their parents doing? Or, you know, just the stuff that we're so conditioned to believe because of the way we've been put up, because so much of that whole behaviorism paradigm that many of us have been raised in, you know, that is still the lens that many, many people look through. Yeah, they do. And, you know, I, um, I started off my journey getting a psychology degree. Um, I knew I wanted to work with people and I'm a natural listener and observer. And so that just felt natural to me. But when I was halfway through my second year, when we started to explore the DSM um, and I just thought to myself, how can you put a human? Can I just say, for people who don't know what the DSM uh, is, it the is the diagnostic. I haven't come across it for so many years myself. Diagnostic and and oh my gosh, what is it? Something manual and there's I don't know. We were up to. About I don't know. That's why I said DSM. <laughs> <laughs> manual that has that. So if you're in more that kind of um, psychology, psychiatry, that kind of paradigm, there's it basically has all the different diagnoses and the most up to date ones. I haven't looked at it since we were on number about five I imagine it's probably six or seven or ten I don't know what we're up to now but um yeah I even go and have a look I'll go and look it up now sorry to interrupt you Steph just in case people didn't know what it was carry on um and I just remember sitting there thinking how can you define a person and try and fit them into these different chapters in a book and so that's when I, I decided to finish the three years because I thought I've already started it and I did find lots of it interesting, like developmental psychology. But then I went into holistic counselling and I became a parent and I found aware parenting and that was, it just made so much sense to me to be able to see someone for who they are. Yeah, so I looked up and I was thinking, gosh, is it statistical? And I say, like, surely can't be, but it is. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, I haven't looked at that for many, many years, also having a psychology background. Anyway, carry on, Steph. <laughs> Which is interesting in itself, isn't it? That if we think about the word mental, mental disorder, it's, it's still, there's, there's a lot of judgment in that, a disorder rather than you know what we're talking about which is that beautiful acceptance for each person's differences and then responding with deep compassion to to meet them in that so anyway sorry about that little um <laughs> little interruption step okay thank you for finding out what dsm means or stands for rather um so you were talking about aware parenting how you know how really when you came to aware parenting that beautiful it's really the the compassion and the understanding of the causes of children's behavior and looking at feelings and sorry did I totally interrupted your flow didn't I 
<laughs> no, that's okay. I and I I resonated with it because for me it's a my, part of my personal experience is because when from the moment I entered preschool when I was four years old, the teachers would start by saying to my parents, your daughter is amazing. She's, you know, she just does everything that we need her to do to a few weeks later going, there's something wrong with your daughter. She's too quiet. Like she should not be this quiet. And so my entire childhood, I took that label on as an identity I'm too shy, there's something wrong with me because every teacher and black student would say that. And the thing is, I'm not shy. I just choose who I share my energy and my stories with. And so it was really important for me when I worked with children and when I work with children now and even parents is to see, to just get really curious about who this person is because they're not that label, you know, they just, they're just them. And I, I can't word it any better than that. Then, you know, they're just who they are and they're who they're meant to be in that moment. And yes, we have big feelings, which are based on our past experiences, what we're currently going through our personalities, the way we process things. And at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all different and we're all diverse. And it's just amazing because each of us brings these unique gifts to the world. And I know that even though I struggle um, and find my son's behavior challenging, probably on a daily basis, because he's very different to me, um, I love him because, and he teaches me so much. Like he's, he's taught me more than I've learned like up until the day he was born because he he has given me because he externalizes his big feelings like like sometimes aggressively and when he has big events um for example he went on a scouts camp this weekend for the very first time it was his first time ever away from family and the scout leaders at when we picked him up, said he's so confident. He's just like an awesome, great kid. And my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, we've got a lot of big feelings to process when we get home. <laughs> so, yep, moment our son sat in the car, he was like grumpy and he was lashing out at us and his younger brother. And so it took like days for him to decompress and process all these big things that had happened to him and he externalized it all and I've always internalized and so he has given me permission that it's okay to scream when I feel angry and so it's just such a great gift when you know you see the differences in people and how that can give you permission to do that too. Mm, that's beautiful and yeah that's really beautiful Steph thank you. I. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that um, past clients have, have been curious about with me if their child does have a diagnosis is around the big feelings because, you know, as I mentioned before, as a culture, we're often very uncomfortable with big feelings and emotions. And for some children particularly, if they do have a diagnosis, you know, they can be really, really reactive and, and, and expressive, as you're saying, and loud noises, places that are too stimulating, their nervous system is too much 
I would love if you want to speak to that, you know, understanding as an aware parenting instructor, emotions and feelings and holding space for that. And then also um, your beautiful son. And then also as an educator, I'd love to hear what, you know, how, how you've navigated that or how that sits with you. Mm. Yeah. It, I, deep down for my entire life, I've known that feelings aren't good or bad. Like they're all valid and they all have a place. Like anger helps people into action. Like if we didn't feel anger about, you know, injustice or what was going in the world, we'd just be sitting on our couches going "Mm, whatever. If we didn't feel grief and sadness when people we loved passed on, we we wouldn't care. Like all these emotions are valid and, So when I see these big feelings and they're externalised, I don't see them as this is bad. I just see that this child's struggling in this moment and they're choosing to externalise it. Uh, Some children internalise it, they'll withdraw. This is what I generally did when I was a child. So having my son externalise it was a big shock. (laughs) At first I was like, I had... um, I had some sessions with Aletha when he was little and I've spoken to Marion as well um, because it was, oh, it was like the biggest curveball ever. I didn't know what to do with it because it was so intense. It's still so intense. Like you'd think, oh, he's nine next week, you know, he'll eventually grow out of it. No, mm-mm. nope, he, he's just gotten bigger and stronger. <laughs> And so his emotions are like, they're so intense. And so we've had to develop ways to support him because he's like stronger. Like I have said, I'm not willing for you to hit me or I'm not willing for you to throw that. And it's much harder to stop those things. And so I have an example from today where um, he was playing, he was setting up a little shelter for himself in the backyard and one of the other children who is a similar age and has an autism diagnosis was doing the same thing. And they're both very similar and they both react similarly. And when they're both um, feeling overstimulated by something, they will compete with each other and it'll become a competition and they'll be, they'll start picking children off. You're on my team. No, you're on my team. No, you're on my team. No, I'm having this resource. No, it's mine. And it can explain be quite explosive so I was like observing because I don't like intervening straight away because children you know need to learn to navigate you know negotiation and things for themselves so unless it turns physically violent I just you know observe and give them the space they need and in the end um, this other child took something off my son and so uh, my mum works with me (laughs) and so we had to separate them so my mum went with the other kids and I was with my son because he was at that point trying to um, punch the other child (laughs) because he felt so strongly about having um, his things taken away because that's what it looked like it was from the outside but you'll see that he his needs were very different. So I moved him away and he wanted to hurt me. He was trying to kick me. He was saying things like, I wish you had never been born. And I, and he finds things when I say, 
I see you have really big feelings. He finds that really confrontational because his feelings are so painful and so hurtful. So in that moment, he wants others to feel that hurt and he doesn't want to feel that pain. And so I have discovered with him and it's taken nine years. So this is a journey. You don't have to know your child overnight. It takes time. And as they grow, they change and their needs change. So I've learned that the best thing for him, and this is just to show that each child is individual, is to say, I see you, I'm here with you, and I'm listening. And to not mention anything about the feelings or anything about the behaviour and simply that. And so that is all I said, and I was a metre away because my older son doesn't like to be touched when he's feeling big things. So I just respected that, and he was actually curled up in a ball on the ground at that point. So you would want to go in and hug your child, but I knew that wasn't the right thing. And then he started crying. And so I just said, again, I'm here. I love you. I'm listening. And he got up and he walked into his little shelter. And so I just followed him and sat outside his shelter. And I said, I'm still here. And he's just like, I just wanted the other kids to play with me. And from me seeing what happened, that was not what I thought he was upset about because it was just the taking of resources backwards and forwards between the two of them. And he's just like, I just wanted friends to sit in here and play with me. And I said, oh, I hear that, that, oh, that sounds so hard. And I'm just like, I'm here. And I, if you want, I can be your friend. And he's just like, I don't want to be your friend right now. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm just going to be right here. You can still see me and you let me know if you need me. And so I could have used attachment play, but from experience, uh, my older son needs you to hold the space from a physical distance and not go in straight away. So I just stood there because I knew he, he would eventually say this, which he did one minute later and said, actually, I really want you to come with me. Can you come in here and can you watch me tie knots? I know all these cool knots now. Can you just sit and watch me tie knots? And I was like, of course, I would love that. I know nothing about tying knots apart from a shoelace. So whatever you show me will be amazing. And so he just showed me knot tying for five minutes. And then for the rest of the day, he was completely cooperative and he was kind and respectful and if someone you know did cross one of his needs he was a lot more tolerant of that and um so that's just different to say you know my other son who I would go in with attachment play I would go in with a hug I would go in with I see you have big feelings and he would be totally okay with that and so each child has all these different unique needs and it's about getting curious, as I said, and like, who, who are you on like a deep level? And what are your needs from moment to moment and long-term? And I just want to know everything about you. And, you know, you also have to be patient with yourself. And as a parent and an educator, you make mistakes. Like, you know, I have gone in for the attachment play in those situations and oh, it backfired. (laughs) (laughs) a lot so you know you it's trial and error like where parenting has so many amazing tools and so you know you just try one and then you read you get really good at reading who your child is and so 
that's how I knew in that moment I could feel his energy, like he didn't want to turn it into play, but he didn't want the whole confrontation of the feeling. So I had to like go around and wait for him to come to me. And it was just like this beautiful, magical thing. And, um, yeah, that just happened today. So I found it quite amazing that it happened just before we were coming here to talk about it. Oh, I love that. And isn't that just just so wonderful to, as a as a exact example I love all that you said there Steph and so often that that's so much we talk about don't we that aware parenting is being like an experiment and being a long-term experiment I love what you said about nine years and I think mm-hmm. often so often go no but just as you said you know but when, when do I use which play do I use the here and what do I do here and it's really so not about that is it it's about trying things out observing exactly as you said and really discovering for each child what what is helpful for them and what isn't and I love how you explained that whole thing but it was so beautiful Steph thank you so much yeah I I agree and I it just made me think about as you're talking you know this this applies to every child that sometimes they don't want to be touched sometimes you need to give them a moment sometimes it isn't about using certain words or things it is it is that beautiful attunement as you're talking about to just seeing and getting to know your child and what works for them i i think that's you just you spoke it so eloquently that was beautiful i'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about parents in the sense of how it can feel for for them perhaps if their child has got a diagnosis for feelings that may come up for them, for the challenges they might find, for just all of it, support, all those things. Do you want to maybe speak, I guess, from your, your place as an educator, but also as a parent, you know, what you've observed or how that has felt for you? Yeah, it's it's intense too. <laughs> Not going to lie or sugarcoat it. It's, it's intense. Um, I grew up in a family of five with my parents and I'm the oldest. So I have a younger sister and a younger brother and there was no, no diagnoses, like no ADHD. There was anxiety, depression, highly sen- high sensitivity, but that can be very different to like explosive anger, impulsivity, hyperactivity, and attentiveness and so for me as a parent and as an educator I found that looking after yourself is really important and that there's a lot of reflection involved as to how you can meet your own needs as well because you know your child has uh you know these certain needs and that you have to allow the space for those needs, like, you know, more space for processing and more space to try and figure figure out um, how you're going to meet those needs. And so I think it was really important when, you know, we had, I discovered listening partnerships or empathy buddies, as Marion calls them, and just having that person that you could just talk to and not feel judged about the fact that you're saying how challenging and difficult your child was today (laughs) and how powerless you felt in that moment because you do feel powerless. All you want to do as a parent and even as an educator is help that child because you can see how much pain and hurt and struggle they're experiencing in that moment. And it's such a powerless place to be in to see that. And 
to not know what to do. And so um, I, over the last, oh, well, more than the one year he's been diagnosed because it was, he's had big intense feelings. I would say from the moment he was born, because I've been reflecting back on that about where did I see it? And he has always experienced things very intensely. He always cried a lot as a baby. Like I'm talking three hours daily for the first almost year of his life. And um, yeah, just, and just having those supportive people around you that you can just call and say, this like sucks right now. (laughs) And I just need you to listen and you know, doing things that you love because you can't give from an empty cup. And so I've really worked on, you know, every morning I get up and I go for a walk and that's how I start my day because that's what I enjoy doing. And I enjoy reading a lot. I read a lot. And um, so I think it's really important as a parent and ed- educator to look after yourself um, because if you can't look after yourself, it's you're putting... Uh, you're putting more barriers on yourself to be able to help others. And it is really hard. And you have just as you have to have patience and compassion for your child. You also have to have it for yourself because there will be times where your child, you'll feel so powerless that you, you know, you might yell or you might say something that you don't mean. Um, And, you know, it's, it's not about guilt and about shaming yourself because you're new to this too. You know, just like your child is new to the world, you're new to parenting, you're new how to find needs and it's a learning journey and there's frustration and just having those outlets and that that sense of safety and that uh, space holding for yourself and looking after your own well-being isn't selfish, it's necessary for your own health and for your child's health. I love how you say that stuff it's so vital isn't it so essential um do you know I'm also wondering I wonder do you feel comfortable to share a little bit about your own journey in terms of why you what called you to to search out a diagnosis and how that process was for you and um uh, you know what what was helpful maybe what wasn't in terms of parents maybe out there thinking maybe they've gone through the journey themselves and they just like to hear you know another person's experience or maybe parents out there wondering whether that this pathway is for them do you feel comfortable to share mm-hmm. anything about that yeah that's I'm happy to share that um so this is obviously based in Australia I'm not sure what it's like in other countries um so in Australia you go to see your GP your general practitioner your doctor Um, and they write a referral to a psychiatrist or a psychologist saying, you know, there's, and writing, you know, like a family history about observations and things like that. And because this came from a speech therapist initially, um, that's how we started this journey. And so we booked him with a clinical psychologist and I did ring a few and I did look at a few websites because I I get feelings, <laughs> knowings about things. And so I'm just like, mm, yeah, I'm not gelling with this person. <laughs> Look at another website. Oh, yeah, this, this person feels good. Like I feel good about this. So we found one and 
they had Kynan and her and myself had an initial appointment and I could see that she really, um, she was curious about Kynan as well in that, you know, who is this, you know, person and I need to find out more about you. And she was, she had a cupboard full of like sensory things already and, you know, she let my son have a look at them all and, you know, she was just really paying attention to what his needs were, how he was responding, being in the new environment and things like that. And um, it's called ADOS testing, which is how they test for an autism diagnosis. And so she said at the beginning, I'm not just seeing if he has an autism diagnosis. I'm actually interested in who he is as a person because there might be something else that comes up along the way. And so she was very respectful uh, of aware parenting because we told her that, you know, we parent with awareness. We don't use compliance or anything like that. And so when my son felt comfortable, she started the process where it was just him and her. And they did testing specifically for ADHD. It involved um, uh, computers too. Like he would, he'd have to do this computer game where he would have to click a target and then all of a sudden these distractions would come <laughs> um, on the screen. And so there was that process and then there was him just doing uh general intellectual activities cognitive things and so it actually took I think it was six visits uh to do that and then she ended up writing a 32 page report on her findings so it was very in-depth and very lengthy and at the end it did have treatment plans so she suggested things like CBT which um based on my experience with aware parenting and just my own philosophy and beliefs, I just chose to stick to aware parenting because I know it works. It is difficult <laughs> because you have to get to know your child and how they respond to things and sometimes things backfire and go flying and it can be a bit hectic but I know it works because I've seen it with my own eyes for the past nine years in not just both my children, but that oh, I don't even know how many children have come to me. Um, it would have to be at least 50 over the last seven years. Um, and yeah, it's, it was a difficult process because um, I was nervous about what they would find. And at the same time, I was also nervous about the label and I kept questioning myself, should I have done this? Because I don't want to give him a label. I don't want that to become part of his identity. I don't want him to have that same sense I did of I'm shy, there's something wrong with me and I have ADHD, there's something wrong with me. And so I kept questioning myself, should I have done this? Because it was expensive too. I'm not going to lie about that. It was expensive. Um, and because I'm an aware parenting instructor, I'm just like, does this go against like my values and my philosophy and what am I doing? Should I have done this? And so I did question, question it all along the way. Um, but at the end of the day, I saw the report and it was actually interesting just because I do have a psychology background to read what a psychologist, you know, 
saw and observed in when she was with Kynan, my son. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that was just interesting reading that because I did feel a sense of relief that she was recognising the same things I was observing as well in that there, it wasn't just me, ex- like, seeing that there was this impulsivity and finding that hard to deal with, but she was saying the same thing like I witnessed this like he couldn't sit still he would when he was with her he would swing between the chairs like he couldn't sit still and so it did give me a bit of peace of mind that it wasn't in my head that I wasn't imagining it um so I have used the diagnosis not and we don't say it around him we don't say oh you have this diagnosis you know but it has helped family members and even other people uh, want to know more about him in a way that they will understand better. Because, you know, like we said at the beginning, it's hard when there's, you know, um, conceptualizing big feelings and all these things in this current society and to have that say, oh, it's ADHD, this is why he's doing this it's just his way of processing it it's much easier for them to understand and they're actually reading books about it and so they're taking more initiative and more oh I okay I I can understand that like that's something I can wrap my brain around I can go get this book I can understand a little bit better and I'm can you work with me like my mum said to me today when she saw me with interacting with um my son, when he was having these big feelings, she's just like, that was amazing. Like, how did you do that? He was like trying to kick you. And he was saying, you know, he wished you'd never been born. And all of a sudden you're then hugging each other and tying knots. Like, how did you do that? And so she's now like, okay, I need you to help me. Um, you know, what do I, when he's, cause she, he stays at her house once a week and so um she's struggling with something at the moment like he's always saying I'm bored I'm bored I'm bored I'm bored I'm bored and so she's just like I keep offering all the him this all this stuff and it's not working and I just said you know when he has big feelings like when he's feeling nervous about things because my parents have just moved here and like this experience of him staying with you is completely new to him like he's never done it before and so he's just saying I'm bored as a way of saying I'm a bit unsure about this in this situation like how should I be I'm not feeling entirely safe to be myself and to express what I'm really feeling so I'm just saying I'm bored in this moment and so I said to my mom just hold space for that to say I I hear you're bored I'm here I'm listening. And so she started doing that. And then eventually he would just sit with her and then he'd go off and do something because he's starting to realise that she's willing to hold that space for him. And so he he's, he's navigating it and she's navigating it and that's what it's about too. Like everyone in the family and your community is navigating all these different things and it's kind of like a puzzle that you don't have to solve because you know the universe is something that doesn't have to be solved 
Mm. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining it in such a gorgeous way. And um, I, I, what I really took from that too is it, it is so much about as a parent in the beginning you're saying taking care of ourselves, being with our feelings that may surface from this, being able to ask for the support that we need so we can turn up for our children in that way and continuously learning and being curious as to what it is. And I, and I really did hear that, um, you know, the benefits again, and it's so individual, I'm sure, for every family about a diagnosis or not, but as you mentioned, you know, earlier, it can sometimes mean that you can access support and funding and all those kind of things to to support you so you can support your child and support your child as well. So there's many, many ways to go about it is, is what I'm hearing. And I'd, I really love, Steph, just your, um, you, your openness of just seeing who this magnificent human is in front of you. There's no judgment there. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Marion, do you have I, any other questions or something you would like to ask? I, I was going to agree. I really so appreciate you coming, Steph, and I, um, just like big smile as I listen to you. I wondered actually if there's anything else. Like I know you had lots of downloads over the last few days, things that you really wanted to share with uh, the listeners so I wonder if there's anything else on your lovely list that you didn't get to say that you would like to express hmm. yeah um there is <laughs> <laughs> I would say to the educators and teachers out there um, I- it's hard to work in a system that tells you you have to do a certain thing a certain way all the time. At the same time, you do have the capacity to really affect change, even within your own classroom. And so I'm going to share an example. Um, My older son spent two terms of prep, which is the first year of school here in Queensland. Um, I know in New South Wales they called it kindy because that's where I grew up, but in Queensland they call it prep. He spent term three and four um, in prep because he expressed an interest. So I did homeschool him and then he's like, oh, I want to see what school's like. So I was just like, no, if you want to, sure. (laughs) And I thought prep's the best way because it's kind of still a little bit play-based as opposed to just chucking him in like in year five and him being like bamboozled by it all. Um, And in his class, he had uh, three other boys that had a diagnosis of autism. And I really wanted to be part of his school community. So when they asked for parents to volunteer for literacy group, I said, sure, I'll come in. And so I think I came in one morning a week and I just helped out with the literacy groups. And I was assigned to uh, my son's group, which uh, they were kids who could read and their whole point was just to get reading more fluently. And so I remember going in this one morning and it wasn't his actual teacher that was there. It was one of the teachers that kind of goes between classes, if you know, as a relief. And so in my son's group, there was one little boy and he had an autism diagnosis and this teacher said, to me uh just let me set up the other groups and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take we'll just say his name's Oliver we're going to take Oliver 
I'll, I'll take Oliver. Like, don't bother with, with him. Just He's just too difficult. And I was just like, Oliver can stay here. He's all good. I, I've got it. And he's just like, and then his t- attention was drawn away so he didn't have time to argue with me. <laughs> so I just sat there and next to Oliver and, you know, the other kids took turns reading one page at a time of this book. And each time it came to Oliver's turn, I was just like, oh, would you like to read this page? And he's like, no. I'm like, that's okay. Maybe in a little bit. And so he was just sitting there and he was looking around the room. Um, He knew he had to sit there because the teacher had told him that if he didn't stay there, he wasn't going to recess, which made me feel really sad about that because all children deserve recess and have a right to recess. Anyway, it got to the end and all the children, the other three kids had finished the book. And um, I said to him, do you want to have a turn of reading the book? And he's like, "Mm." so I picked up the book upside down and started reading the words backwards. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to read it to you then. And so I started reading the words backwards and he's just like, that's not how you read. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not how you read? This is how I read. Doesn't it make sense? And he's like, no, you're being silly. And I'm like, oh, how do I read? And then I turned it like vertical and tried to read the words vertical. And he's just like, that's not how you read either. And he was like in hysterics laughing at me. And I'm just like, oh, I might need some help reading how do I read? And so he took the book off me and he read the book from front to beginning completely fluently. And by this time, the teacher came back and he's just like, okay, Oliver, come on, you can come read the book for me. And I'm just like, oh, he just read it to me. And he's like, what? And I'm just like, he just read the whole book to me. And he's like, no, he couldn't have, that isn't what he does. He can't even read one page at a time in a group setting. And I'm just like, oh, he did it didn't you? And he's, and like, he had the biggest grin on his face and he said, yeah, I did it. And all it took was just being playful. And it just took one minute. If that, it wasn't even like more than a minute of me pretending to be incompetent at reading. (laughs) And that changed his day. And I wish I had time to tell the teacher what I did, but the bell rang and everyone dispersed. And because he was a relief teacher, you know, he wasn't there again. And I just thought educators and teachers just knew even the basics of aware parenting and how simple it can be to just, you know, put just a tiny bit of play or a tiny bit of holding space into their day. It can really change a child's life because there's just so much anxiety about going to school and, that affects learning and it affects how a child sees themselves, their sense of worth, their sense of self-esteem. And yeah, that just, I, that experience is just still so clear in my mind and it happened three years ago. Oh, Steph, I feel touched to tears hearing that story. I'm so incredibly grateful to you and what you, you know, the experience you gave to that, to that little boy. And I know it's one of your passions to really spread aware parenting to early childhood education and so I, I just really want to acknowledge you and appreciate you and all the the change that you are bringing and and want to bring into these systems and the same to you Lair, with your your school and all the ways that you are meeting children in these beautiful ways I just I feel really t- I feel touched to tears right now so thank you lovely yeah I I agree and <sighs> I was just having a conversation today. Um, we were having some tours at our school today and a beautiful mum 
said to us, um, what makes your school different? And um, our beautiful principal, Claire, and I just reflected, well, we want to give them choice and autonomy and we want to see who they are and and help them learn in the way that makes sense to them. And we want to slow it down and we want them to be connected to their bodies and the earth and and we want them to be free to be who they need to be. And so often, unfortunately, in our systems, it just doesn't happen like that. It's actually all about conforming. And um, it was such a great question that we, you know, we really reflected on it afterwards is what are all the other things we're doing to help kids be seen and be heard and to learn in a way that feels exciting and makes sense for them? And how can we keep doing that? How can we even keep making doing it better? And I think it's such an important question to ask and and I really second what you're saying, Steph, of educators and it is such a big thing. Like I take my hat off to all people that work with children. It's intense and it's full on and it's busy and sometimes you don't get to do what you really want to do because of the data and the systems and the time and all the stuff. But tiny little pauses, like you're saying, one minute of playfulness or one minute of connection does make a difference. It does make a difference to these kids feeling safe and feeling seen. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> oh, so yummy. So, so yummy. Thank you both for all that you're doing. So appreciate you both. And Steph, I'm wondering for people who would like to know more about what you offer, I know you have offerings um, and how people can find out about you. And I also actually want to name that we, uh, you came on my other podcast and talked all about homeschooling and your homeschooling journey as well, if people want to look there. But yeah, I'd love to hear for the listeners. Would you like to share about what, what, you, what you have on offer and how people can find out more about you? Uh, so I do have a website, which is spiritedhearts.net. I am on Instagram, which is um, at spirited hearts under no, at spirited underscore hearts. <laughs> Someone already took spirited hearts, um, but it has my name too, Steph Fleeton. Um, and I'm not on Facebook really, so my two main forms of contact contact is website and Instagram and I do have an online course called holding space for big feelings in early childhood education and that's a collaboration I did with inspired EC so it's on their website which is inspiredec.com they offer a lot of online courses many of which are actually in alignment with aware parenting in an early childhood environment so I did I I'm so passionate about the emotional well-being of um, children in early childhood education settings because it's so left behind. It's not talked about nearly enough in the diploma that educators are required to do. Um, that, and there's definitely no tools or anything like that. No one knows what to do like that's one of the biggest things educators are like oh this child's crying all the time or this child has tantrums or what do I do and they're um like timeouts and oh, horrible <laughs> oh I shouldn't say that that's a judgment um just things that aren't connection filling <laughs> and so the whole point of me doing this course was specifically for early childhood educators to show them um that it it you know just giving them the 
science behind why we need to form better connections with our children and the science behind tears and how to. I um, actually have demonstrations where I hold a little doll <laughs> and how it looks like to hold space for babies and children. So, yeah, you can access that. And um, all everything I offer is on my website and Instagram page. Thanks so Thank much, you, Steph. Steph. It's been beautiful having you here. Thank you for sharing your insights and your wisdom and just your heart, you know, and your journey. It's it's really beautiful. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Leila and Marion. I've loved being here. Thank you so, so much. And thank you to our lovely listeners. If you if you want to come and share anything after listening to this, please come along to our Instagram or Facebook. And we are sending you so much love. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.